As we continue together today, and as we return to the Gospel of Luke, today I want to talk about doing hard things from, from the Gospel of Luke. But as a culture, we sort of specialize in doing easy things, don't we? Like we specialize in the, in the easy routes. In fact, we have a whole list of gadgets that are continually invented to make our lives easier. Uh, for instance... The Roomba, right? And I know some of you, I won't ask for a show of hands, but have one of these. Right? You know, wh why would you want a vacuum when a robot could do it for you? Okay, these get better. Uh, this is the smart pet feeder because, you know, if you're too lazy to feed your animal, this robot will do it for you. Now, it, it is a cat, so, I mean, really, they don't even like human beings anyway. So, uh, I guess, but, you know. Um, here we go, ladies. If it's too much work to bend over to shave your legs, right? Here we go. Just for you, uh, uh, the dog Brella. We, we want to make our dog's lives easier as well. But my all-time favorite make-your-life-easier invention is the baby mop. <laughs> right? Because having kids is hard. Might as well put them to work, right? Oh, you guys, we love to make things easier. Uh, you know, you remember when you were a kid and your dad said, okay, we can do this the easy way or we can do it the hard way. Uh, who would pick the hard way? Yeah, Dad, I want to do it the hard way. No, we pick the easy way. But what if the hard way is better? What if Jesus is asking his followers to choose the hard way, not the easy way? Um, this is what we're talking about today. Uh, I always tell you to, you're, one thing to remember. Uh, la last week, Aaron said that he was a better preacher than I am because he figured you'd remember more than one thing. And that, that's, uh, he's a high school teacher. He lives in, in a state of continual optimism, right? <laughs> that's how you get through the day. And so uh, I'm a realist. I get it. Just remember this thing, and hopefully it will bring to mind some other things from Scripture that we talk about. Uh, we live in a world where people want to make things easy, um, and we really want to make following Jesus easy. I mean, we do. Uh, we reduce being Christian to the minimums, and so people spend lots of money on figuring out how to make church easy, how to make following Jesus easy. They say, come sit in our, our comfy church chairs and, and hear a, a, an easy, comfortable message about following Jesus. So at Waukee Community Church, we've dealt with this by giving you really uncomfortable chairs. Uh, th these were free. Another church gave these to us. Uh, and so, you know, it, it just eliminates that, that distraction. You uh, think that there are a few comfy chairs running around here, right? If you're in one right now, you know it. You're like, oh, yeah, I got one of them. <laughs> Anyway, I, I just, we do whatever we can to make it easy. Um, churches fight to make following Jesus easy. But Jesus said that following him wasn't easy. It's hard. And he gave the worst sales pitch of all time in Luke chapter 9. And this is the sales pitch that you would never want to give someone if you wanted to get them on board. He said, following me is really hard really hard. And by implication, maybe you don't want to do this. We've been in Luke uh, for a long time. We, we took a break. We got through uh, the first two sections of Luke, 
And Luke is really the gospel of Luke. It's Luke's account of the life of Jesus. And Luke is telling us about living life on purpose. Luke wants us to know that Jesus wasn't an accident, that Jesus did, his whole life was on purpose. It was with intention. He was following the intentional plan of the heavenly father. And he wants us to know that. And he wants us to know that our lives have purpose too, that we should be engaged in the kingdom of God. And so we have these scripture journals here that we've been using. And for a long time, you can actually buy one over here for five bucks at the coffee bar. We have a few of them left. And uh, if you want to jump in, we're going to be in Luke a very long time still. And so it's a great tool to have. On one side is just blank page. And on the other side is the ESV version. It allows you to scribble and write and mark it up and, and keep your own thoughts in here. And they're a great, a great, great tool. But on the front of them, we put an outline. If you have one of these, you can look on the very front page. Uh, an outline of the book. There are four sections. It's all about Jesus' intentional journey. He journeyed from heaven. That's the, the birth narrative of Jesus. He journeyed in Galilee. That's what we were up to up until uh, the beginning of November where we took a break. We finished the second section. So journey from heaven, journey to Galilee or in Galilee. Now we're entering the third section, the longest section about Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And then we'll end it by seeing the crucifixion and resurrection narrative as we talk about his journey to fulfillment. And so really what uh, we want to do today is just set that context that we're entering the third section of Luke's gospel. And just because it's been two months, let me just remind you of where, what Luke has told us. What just happened in this story? Uh, the disciples just sort of came to a realization about Jesus' purpose, that he was the Christ, and Peter confessed this. And then they go up on the mountain, and they have this transfiguration where Jesus is transfigured before them, and they see him in his glory. And this great mountaintop experience. And then they come down, and the disciples at the bottom of the mountain, coming down from this mountain time experience, they have failed. They fail miserably. They start arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They, start, they stop other people from doing kingdom work. They try to stop them. They're like, no, we have a monopoly on this. They, they just start fizz, uh, failing miserably. And that's how the second section came to an end, with the disciples' miserable failure. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. I, I'm pretty good at failing as a Christ follower, I think. Uh, I, I mean, it just makes me appreciate the disciples. Sometimes I feel like I get them a lot, and they, and they would get me. Like, like, I get it. It just makes me relatable to them. Today, in the face of this failure that the disciples have, Jesus sets his face to walk towards Jerusalem, and he begins his journey towards Jerusalem. This whole third section takes place as he's traveling in a roundabout way to Jerusalem. And he's going to remind the disciples in the face of their failure that following Jesus is hard. And there are, there are the kinds of things that Jesus is going to say to his followers. In today's text, he's basically going to say three things. Uh, following me is hard. If you follow me, you're going to be homeless. Uh, you're going to have to leave your responsibilities to your family. Uh, and I don't even want you to say goodbye to your family. Following me is hard. Wow, that's tough. 
I mean, Jesus is going to say some tough things today. And so let's walk through these together. Um, I really just have four things to talk about today as, as we was marched through this together. And it's about what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is hard because we must be. And here's the first thing, okay? Following Jesus is hard because we must be focused on the mission. We must be focused on the mission. I want you to look at the text with me. Uh, Verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, it's referring to his ascension there, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And then he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Uh, So here we see Jesus heads to Jerusalem, the beginning of this third section. You need to understand a little bit about geography to understand what's going on in the text. Um, in, in the nation of Israel, the land was split up into three sections at this time. In the north, you had the region of Galilee. Um, a little further south, but still north, is the region of Samaria. And in the south is the region of Judea, where the capital and principal city was Jerusalem. Galilee, Samaria, Judea. This is important to understand because for Jesus to go from Galilee to Jerusalem, he's going to have to cross through Samaria. And and it says, Luke says, he set his face. Luke says this twice in our text. It's a very Jewish phrase. It, It simply means resolute determination. Jesus determined at this point in time that he was heading with full intent, full fulfillment to fulfill his purpose, this isn't an accident, and he's going to Jerusalem. Now, he has to cross through Samaria. Let me give you a quick little history lesson to understand why this is significant. Um, uh, Hundreds of years earlier, before Jesus, the nation of Israel split into two, they had a civil war essentially, and split into the north and into the south. The southern Jews had their principal uh, city in Jerusalem, the northern Jews had their principal city in the city of Samaria. That's why this region became known as Samaria, from the name of the capital city. And, and this is how it works. Now, when, when the nation was conquered at the end of the Old Testament, when Babylon came, Assyria came and scattered the north throughout, and they took this, uh, uh, Babylon later came and took the south and brought them back to Babylon in exile. When this happened, the, the southern Jews all went to exile and remained very committed to Judaism. As a whole, we can say that. The, those that were left in Samaria, those Jews, hung around and they intermarried with the Gentiles of the region. So by the time we get to Jesus, what has happened is the exile ends. The Jews that had been in in Babylon return to Jerusalem, the southern region, and they are now interacting with the Samaritans who the Jews view as compromising half-breeds. It is not cool. The racial tension in this was off the charts. These two groups hated each other. And so in Jesus' day, there's this tension. The Gal- 
What make, to make it more difficult, when the Jews resettled the land, they settled in two places. They settled in Jerusalem in the south, but they also settled in Galilee in the north. What's right in between these two? Samaria. So if you are a good Jew living in Galilee, you have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Where do you have to go through? Samaria to get there. Now, a lot of Jews didn't want to deal with the conflict. They, they despised the Samaritans so much that they would go out and about and around, take a trip, a long trip all the way around so they could avoid Samaria. But some Jews decided, no, I'm going to risk it. I'm going to go directly through Samaria. And that's what Jesus decides to do. He decides to go through Samaria and it doesn't go well. Look at verse 53. But the people, referring to the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. They're like, here's a Jew who's going to Jerusalem. We don't like them. He's coming through and we are going to reject him. We are not going to allow him to stay in our town here in the region of Samaria. We're going to give him hardship and rejection as he goes through. And there is a rejection of Jesus' message in some of the Samaritan towns. Now, what's fascinating is the disciples' reaction to this. I mean, you would think that they would know better. But <laughs> look at 54. When the, when, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, the Samaritans heckling Jesus, giving him a hard time, they say, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? <laughs> like, oh, what is going on? I mean, I've had a lot of enemies and, you know, like enemies. In my life. I have people that I've been in conflict with, certain people that I haven't liked, but I've never called down fire to consume them. What is going on here? Uh, well, I think what the disciples are doing is they're recognizing that Jesus has already begun to give has given them his authority to do kingdom work. And they're remembering this passage back in 2 Kings chapter 1, where the prophet Elijah, and I think this is on their minds because they'd just seen the transfiguration when Elijah appeared. And um, in, in 2 Kings chapter 1, Elijah is doing God's work, and there's this evil king who doesn't appreciate that Elijah is doing God's work, and he sends soldiers to capture him and eventually kill him. And uh, Elijah, in response to this threat, calls down fire from heaven. And these soldiers are consumed. And God protected his man. And I think the disciples are going, hey, if we have this authority, maybe we can do this too. Plus, they don't like the Samaritans. So this is like a win-win. We get to flex our muscles and we get to deal with some people that we don't even like. And these disciples, they don't get it. They just... They don't get it, which is why I appreciate the disciples because so many times I don't get it. They don't get it. And Jesus rebukes them. Verse 55, he turned and he rebuked them. And they went on to another village. This is Jesus' simple reminder. We don't know what words he used to rebuke them. Luke doesn't tell us. We just know he rebuked them. It's a simple reminder that Jesus comes to bring grace. Justice will come for sure, but that's not the disciples' job. The disciples' job is to do the kingdom work of grace. It's a simple reminder for us. 
in following Jesus the hard way sometimes means that we are, our job is not to eliminate any hostility to the gospel. Our job is not to bring the wrath of God. Our job is not to oppose a culture that opposes the things of God. Our job is not to pass laws that force people to conform to the Bible. Our job is not to, commu- our job is not to do any of that. Our job is to communicate the mission of the kingdom of God. There will be a time for justice and judgment, but Jesus is more interested in his followers communicating the mission of the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, we must be focused on the mission work of God because following Jesus is hard. And it means that we're focused, that we keep our mind and our attention focused on the things of Christ. It's hard. We get busy defending our rights. We get busy defending all the wrong things. It's so easy for us to be distracted. Jesus didn't focus on his rights. Jesus gave up his rights. So let's be focused on the mission of the kingdom of God. It's hard because it takes focus. So we're focused on the mission. That means we're undistracted. The next three points of of this message are all about how we keep from being uh, distracted, undistracted. So following Jesus is hard because one, we must be focused on the mission. The second thing is we must be undistracted by rejection. Undistracted by rejection. Okay, if there's anyone who understands distraction, it's me. I'm the king of distraction. I was thinking about this. Monday mornings, I get in the office early, and the first thing I do on Monday mornings is put together my weekly task list. It's a two-page document of everything that I have to get done in this week. And some things are recurring, some things I put in there are new, it depends on the week. And I go through this, and this keeps me on task for the week. If I can just keep this document, this, this task list together of all the different roles and responsibilities and things I have to do, if I keep that together, I keep undistracted. Um, but some mornings, it doesn't work so well. I get down, I open up my task list to assemble it for a week, and doing an email comes in. I mean, we're at 7.30 in the morning and there's an email and I look at it and I, I think, oh, you know, I really should go through all my emails from the weekend so I could transfer them too much. So I begin to read them and then I think, as I'm reading my emails, I go, oh, there's something I need to do. And if I do that, I can get one fewer email deleted from my inbox. And so it's like, I got to go over here to the avenue to get it done. So I grab my coat and I come out the door and I come over here and unlock it and, and start to take care of that. And then I'm over here and I think, oh, you know what? Uh, we need to get this other thing done, this sermon uploaded or whatever. And I could help uh, Alina or Karna by doing that. I'm just going to get that started right now. And when the one I'm doing that, my phone dings with a text message and I read that text and then I stop and respond. And then I think, oh, that reminds me, I got to make a phone call. And so then I'm, I make this phone call. We're, by now it's 8 o'clock in the morning, and hopefully nobody's annoyed with me. I'm making this phone call. And while I'm talking to the person, I think, oh, this is going to take a while. You know, I could multitask. I, I have an errand to run, and I could get in the car and talk to this person and run the errand. And so I get in the car, and I drive off, and I begin to run this errand and talk to this person. But because I'm so engrossed in the conversation, I forget where I'm going. Have you ever done that? Uh, and, and then uh, I, I miss the turn. I drive like four miles beyond where I'm supposed to go before I realize it. I come back. I get my errand done. By the time I get all back, I realize, oh, I've got a lunch appointment soon. 
Uh, I'm not going to have time to go back to the office. I better go get my lunch appointment done. And then while I'm at my lunch appointment, meeting with the person, talking to them, I get done and I think, oh, on the way back, I'll stop and do this. By the time I get back to the office to visit my task list, the day is nearly done. <laughs> now, that's a, that's a little bit of a compilation of different errors. <laughs> now, it, that's not my normal routine and probably hasn't happened to me all at once like that, but you get the point. Distractions are so easy. It takes work and effort to be focused. One of the more difficult things is that we can get distracted by is rejection. And the disciples are encountering this right away. They encounter it with the Samaritans. And now Jesus is going to encounter three people who have some sort of interest in following them. And Jesus is going to say to these three people, these three potential followers, following me is hard because you have to remain undistracted, in particular undistracted by rejection. Look at verse 57. They were going along the road and someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So you need to understand Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He really didn't have a home. His home was in Galilee, the region of Galilee. But, and, and he had sort of had a base of operation. But now he's traveling to Jerusalem and he doesn't have a home. Um, he just traveled. He had no wealth. He was completely dependent on his followers contributing and, and the contributions of others. Um, Jesus is a stranger in this world. And by this point, he knows it very clearly. He knows and he feels this very clearly. This world is not his own. He has a purpose. And his purpose from the Heavenly Father is clear. You see, he belongs to the kingdom of a, a different world. And he gets it. He's like a stranger in a strange land. Um, and his disciples, he's trying to prepare them saying there will come a time where you, as citizens of a different kingdom, will feel this rejection. Don't be distracted by it. Peter, in, in his letter, years later, his letter, his fir first Peter, um, he refers to uh, him and to his fellow Christians as aliens and strangers in the world. See, Peter understood the message that Jesus gave him. Fo foxes have holes, birds have nests. But we, we don't belong we shouldn't be surprised when we get rejected. Uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. One of the most distracting things about being a follower of Jesus Christ is that in this world you will experience rejection. It's hard. It's distracting. Certainly there have been times in our country where Christians have been the majority, but I'm not even talking here about the name Christian. Now, the name Christian is so oft misunderstood. I'm just simply talking about someone who says, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to commit my life to living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, and giving like Jesus. This is what I want to do. 
And to this person, he or she will find rejection. And lots of people have no idea what it means to live like Jesus. But I'm talking about this following. If you're going to live like Jesus, you're going to seem strange to the world around you. And I just want to remind you of that, that you're an alien. You live and belong to a kingdom that is not of this world, but that is coming. Why are we surprised when the world rejects us? We get labeled, we get misunderstood. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised when people call us haters? It's okay. We're working for the kingdom of God. This phrase kingdom of God here that Jesus said, used two times in this passage. Kingdom of God. We belong to a different kingdom, the kingdom of God. And this is why I think this place is so important. This avenue, this, this church, Waukee Community Church, because we're so serious about making followers of Jesus' disciples that it, it, I would have no doubt that any one of you who have committed your life to following Christ is going to find rejection. And that's why when we come together, one of the coolest things about Sunday mornings is when we're all gathered here in the space, we all go, you know what? This is the one thing we share in common. We're, we, we're not all Americans. We're not all Iowans. We're not all earthlings. <laughs> we are all citizens of heaven. We're all citizens. And wherever in this world we find rejection, here together we find a place to call home, a place where we belong. Because following Jesus is hard. So we want to be undistracted by rejection. The third thing that we want to talk about here today, and Jesus talks about in the text, is is undistracted by obligations. Undistracted by obligations. So following Jesus is hard because we got to be undistracted by obligations. Look at verse 59. So the one person came to him and he said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, well, there's going to be rejection. To the second, he says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That seems like a reasonable request. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Whoa, that's harsh. Jesus, where's my nice cuddly buddy Jesus? Like, what is going on here? That is tough. Well, let me explain some cultural things that are happening here. First of all, you need to understand what the Jewish burial process would be. The Jewish burial process, they didn't have morgues. There was an embalming. The Jewish burial process is they would take a body and they would wrap it and prepare it and they would put it in a tomb. We know this most commonly because Jesus was placed in a tomb. But you must understand that, that in the Jewish realm, the body wasn't preserved in the tomb. The tomb was simply a place for the body to decay. About a year later, after a body was placed in a tomb, all that would remain were bones. And it was the responsibility of a firstborn son to go in to that tomb, collect the bones and put them in a bone box, and then move them either to a different tomb or a different spot in this tomb where the bones would be. And it was an obligation of the firstborn son. 
And so what we need to understand here is that this man is asking for it as probably as much of a year hiatus. Give me a year, Jesus, and then I'll be back. Um, it takes, but Jesus is saying the gospel message, the kingdom following me takes priority over even family obligations. And this was a serious obligation for a son. See, following Jesus is hard because kingdom work of Jesus takes precedent over even family obligations. Wow. When Jesus' brothers and mothers came looking for him, they, they thought he was crazy and wanted to take him away. And he said, who are my mothers and brothers? And then he points to those around him. My followers are my family. Uh, Jesus doesn't mince words. It's really hard. The problem is that when you declare that you want to be a follower of Jesus, that commitment supersedes every other obligation in your life. See, this isn't, gee, I want to squeeze church in on Sunday so I can feel like I got my spiritual quota for the week. Jesus wants every corner, every obligation. And it's difficult because oftentimes obligations in our life come into conflict. Now notice that Jesus isn't saying, go be a bad son to your parents. Go be a bad daughter. He, he isn't saying that. He isn't saying, be a bad father and abandon your family. And that doesn't gel with the rest of Scripture. Following Jesus means being a great dad and a great mom and a great son and a great daughter to your parents. But when two obligations come into conflict, always choose Jesus. I heard a story about a woman who was in her 40s that decided that God was calling her to go on a two-week mission trip with her church overseas. Um, her father, who was elderly, got wind of this and didn't like it. He said, you can't go. I might need you here. I might need you to help me or do something with me. And It's dangerous. If you travel outside of the United States, it's too dangerous. You can't be in your right mind if you desire to go. And so he, uh, he tried to issue some kind of legal injunction. He went to the courts to stop her from traveling overseas. Now, they just threw it out, right? But she felt this conflict. And she recognized that the gospel took precedence. Now, this is an extreme example. She went. But so many obligations in life are pulling at us. And I just want to remind you that following Jesus is hard because every other obligation in your life has to be subservient to him. Just think about your calendar for a minute, okay? Most of us keep our calendars on our phones. There's my calendar. I have like 12 calendars because there's so many things going on and, and, and I'm connected with so many different things and it's like just lit up all the time. Just look at your calendar and ask, what of these things in my life take precedent over Jesus? Which obligations here take precedent over Jesus? Now, many of the things Jesus says, I, I don't want you to quit that. I want you to take me with you into that. Don't quit your job. Take Jesus into your job. But when things come in conflict, what do you choose? I, I, I mean, the, the most glaring one is children's activities because they take precedent. They, they're the holy grail in our culture. They take precedent over everything else. Jesus says 
If you want to follow me, be undistracted by obligations. I take first place. The last, uh, the distraction, the third distraction or the fourth point that we're talking about today is to remain undistracted by the past. Undistracted by rejection, undistracted by obligations, and now undistracted by the past. The third guy comes to Jesus and he says, I'll follow you, Lord, but let me say farewell to those at home. I just want to go home and say goodbye. That seems like a reasonable request, especially because in 1 Kings 19, when Elisha comes to Elijah and, and Elijah calls Elisha to be his follower, Elisha says, can I go home and say goodbye to my family? And Elijah goes, yeah, go ahead and come back here. Jesus is like tougher than Elijah. Wow. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Okay, so all you have to do to understand this cultural reference is imagine an, an ancient plow, right? It's probably pulled by a horse and it's a single thing and he's holding on to a single blade in the ground and, and uh, you know, imagine the importance of, it's like mowing the lawn, you know, watching where you're going. And uh, if you turn backwards, you know, that, <laughs> that plow is going to go whichever way you turn. Uh, I have trained four teenagers to drive. I understand the importance of looking forward when you're driving. Like wherever your eyes go, the car's going to go. I try to remind them of this. Uh, we, it's not hard. If you turn around while you're plowing and look backwards, you're not, it's not going to work. You're not a fit plowman. Lot's wife in Genesis, she looked back. Do you remember this? As, as Sodom and Gomorrah are being destroyed and they're fleeing, she looked back with longing to her past. The Israelites, when they were in the wilderness and it got hard, they said, oh, remember Egypt, how great it was. We got to eat meals every day and it was wonderful. I mean, like, yeah, that whole slavery thing was just fantastic. It's just, they're looking backwards. Sometimes you and I need to stop looking backwards. Uh, and, and there's two thoughts about that I have about this. If you look backwards to the past, you're going you're gonna to have two things that I think there's a lot. One is hurt in the past. All you're going to see is hurt and pain. Like, you know this, you think about your past. Sometimes we get so focused on what has happened that it's a bit difficult to follow Jesus going forward. We can't let go of that stuff. And another distraction that we have by the past um, is sometimes we have a longing for the world we left behind when we came to follow Jesus. We have a longing for self-indulgence, to live for whatever desire is in front of us, uh, a life, uh, a longing to be able to just go, I want to determine how I live my life, when I want to live my life. A longing for the American dream, a longing for financial independence, a longing for a life of just pursuing bigger toys and our bigger, more prestigious, like when we put all these things, we left those primary desires in our past. And sometimes we just long for the world in our old life. And Jesus is saying to this guy, you're longing for something and you need to look forward at following me. I mean, it's January, right? Um, 
The gym is packed. Uh, not that I went, but you know, like I, I, I'm assuming the gym is packed. So uh, let's say it's January. You decide, okay, I'm going to get on the, you know, fitness trail and I'm tired of my body looking like this and I want to, you know, get into shape. And so you meet with a personal trainer and you go, okay, uh, what are we going to do to get my body in shape? Now, to your trainer, you say, hey, just want to be clear, I don't want to do anything difficult, okay? So, like, like nothing hard, um, no abs. Oh, I hate abs, all right? Like, I mean, I, I would like to have some, but, uh, you know, that's a lot of work. I don't want to do any difficult things. Could you just sort of make it happen? Um, there's this reminder here that Jesus saves us not to just grant us a place in heaven, but to transform us here and now, into a new people separated from the world. It's just hard. Following Jesus is hard, but it's good. Now, as I wrap up, you might think, Dave, this is a really depressing New Year's message. <laughs> like, you know, like I wanted to come to church and feel good today, and you just made it really hard and uncomfortable. Well, Jesus did that, not me, but uh, you might think, like, I just want to quit. Well, I don't know. I think, oddly, this passage makes me feel better. And I, I think it can to you, too, because it's good to know that following Jesus isn't easy and it's not supposed to be. It's a no, one, no wonder that I struggle. It's supposed to be hard. Jesus has let us know that. But it's good. Um, so, uh, over Christmas break, I, I did take a few days off, and I, I took my Malachi, my seven-year-old, to Target, because I thought it would be a great idea to put a puzzle together, and, uh, and we let Malachi pick out the puzzle. My seven-year-old, this is the puzzle he picked out here. Um, that, that's a lot of pieces that all look exactly the same. <laughs> like, like, we started doing this, and I thought... Uh, there is no, no way after <laughs> just getting the border together. So the, the first thing that I did was uh, there's one bit of orange in the puzzle. That's backpack kid in the middle. And so I assembled that because right, it was the easy part. And uh, I got backpack kid together. Uh, it took eight of us in our family working straight, like constantly for almost 24 hours because like everyone would just kind of jump in and, and we got it done. All this bazillion pieces that all look the same finally got assembled and, and it was hard. And then we were like, what are we going to do with it now? <laughs> I don't want to tear it apart. That was a lot of work. <laughs> it's still sitting on our kitchen table. I have no idea what we're going to do with it. <laughs> but this is how it worked. A family of people fought together, did something hard. And I think that is the joy of following Christ together. Like a family of people doing it together for the glory of God. Because following Jesus is hard. But hard things are always the best things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for these difficult words. We long to live our life in such a way that you are honored and that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so let us do the hard things in following Christ. 
Let us be focused and undistracted. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.